This episode is brought to you by Twizzlers. Long day, late night, feeling a little bored. Twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day, no matter what kind of day you're having. The perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax. Unwind with Twizzlers. To buy now, visit hersheyland.com slash Twizzlers. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Rest is Entertainment with me, Marina Hyde. And me, Richard Osman. Good morning slash afternoon slash evening to you, Marina. How are you, Richard? Yeah, I'm not bad. I can't complain. Listen, we've got lots of fun things to talk about. It's fun to be sitting in this studio. We're back in the old studio now. But I got used to the other studio. That's the problem. Oh, we will be back in the other studio. Oh, but I can't do constant chopping and changing. But you can if we get to sit exactly opposite each other. So we will be back in there. Better camera angles. Now, <laughs> you can watch this on YouTube, the by the way. Yes, you can watch this on YouTube. Now, this week we are going to talk about... <laughs> That's a stunning about... endorsement. Yeah, oh. I mean, you can watch it on YouTube. Just watch wow. Richard's half of the screen, please. <laughs> now, this week we are going to talk about... I'm one of the few people to have helped Madame Webb, the movie, limp across a very, very low UK box office tally. And we're going to talk about mad press tours. Dakota Johnson, the star of that, has been on quite an eye-catching, eyebrow-raising It's quite hard tour. to do a press tour for a film that, that everyone seems to hate. But Already, we, from we'll the, the second the trailer dropped. I'm going to talk a little bit about Romanticy, which is a romance-fantasy hybrid, which is, is the biggest-selling genre in books around the world. I mean, crazily huge numbers. It's sort of like, like a porny version of Lord of the Rings, but it's massive, so we will... I'm dying to talk about this because we'll I don't really that. understand it at all. I've had a look and I've been quite I just disturbed told you. by what I found. It's a I've porny been quite Lord of the Rings. By what I found. Also, we're going to begin by talking about Drive to Survive. Now, Drive to Survive is the show that runs on Netflix and it's behind the scenes on Formula One. It has been an absolute monster success. It comes back on this Friday, about eight days before the first Grand Prix of the season. But what it does, it takes you behind the scenes of a season. So the season that's about to drop on Friday will take you behind last season. And so you see all the drivers and the plot lines and all the team principals and one of those team principals is Christian Horner who is the team principal of Red Bull. Now he has been alleged to have indulged in controlling behaviour over a, a Red Bull employee and sending sexually suggestive text messages. He denies all these allegations we should say but it's kind of interesting that this is all breaking around the time of the new season, around the time of the new Formula One season and the show so we can talk all about that. Richard you well, are a Drive to Survive watcher as am I. Yeah, I love it. It's always, Formula One is that fascinating thing that if five years ago you'd said, um, oh yeah, I'll tell you what people are going to love, behind the scenes on Formula One, that's one of those pitches where everyone would go, well, of course not. It's like the goggle box thing where you say, yeah, yeah, let's watch some people watching TV and everyone would go, well, of course not. But the thing with Formula One is people have always loved it if they like machines. And the, one of the unique things about um, Formula One, hard to think of any other sports that the same, maybe, maybe skiing, is you cannot see the competitors at any point. You can't look them in the eyes. You can't see what they're doing. And Drive to Survive has absolutely turned that on its head and made all of the drivers characters, made them personalities, put them in a soap opera. So you suddenly, I think if you don't like Formula One, you see the point of it, which is there are rivalries, there are goodies and there are baddies. You can so see the point of it for the sport. And a lot of people always say, oh, we've been trying to make like this for years, kind of unfettered or supposedly unfettered, we'll come back to that later, behind the scenes access to these kind of sports. But something like between 20 and 30% at any point of Formula One fans now say they got into the sport because of Drive to Survive, which is sort of incredible. 
they needed to do something like this in a way because, as part of you said, you can't see the drivers. There are only relatively few races a year. There are now 24. There are even fewer when this yeah. started. And they go all the way around the world. So they may very well be happening in the middle of the night or very early in the morning and late at night. And you may not see this thing. And they're and- very, very rarely in democracies. Yeah. <laughs> anymore. In the in the 70s I think all the grand prix were in democratic countries and these days you can you can go months you before you b- before, before you yeah. go to a Germany. Yeah, we'll be starting in Bahrain this season as as <laughs> indicated. Anyway, I mean I it, how can we what, what should we talk about the sort of aesthetic of it? I I really can't it's a sort of dark masterclass in that Netflix aesthetic when you're doing a documentary and it could be about Stalinism or mm. it could be about the Second World War or it could be about Formula One but you're not allowed to they don't want anyone to be seen asking a question off camera so one must answer one's own question so you'll see someone like Christian Horner saying what do we feel about coming second we fucking hate it <laughs> he has a sort of intercontinental ballistic blandness to him yes which you're made to feel like you're getting all this behind the scenes thing and you might see someone swearing but it was a problem for the show that the number one driver max verstappen for three seasons refused to be involved in well it. he said and you know he's he, he's right it's made for people who don't know the results of what happened yeah is the truth and you know that's why i love watching american sports documentaries i can watch the whole of the last dance and be like oh i wonder if the chicago bulls win because i don't know <laughs> i don't know i didn't I didn't watch it. And so if you don't know the results, it's exciting. But they will occasionally edit in such a way and they will overlay commentary on something that wasn't contemporary just to make it more exciting and to explain what's going on. Okay. Well, what he rightly said, and this is, and he's really hit the nail on the head, was to say, it's like the Kardashians. And yes, I do think that the show that this is most analogous to, quite weirdly, is... The card either keeping up with the Kardashians as it used to be, or the the Kardashians as it is called now. Tell you, it's harder to keep up with Formula One drivers than the Kardashians. Than the Kardashians, yeah. yeah. But and there were sort of non-participant characters in the Kardashians, really. Like you'd kind of see when he she was with Kanye Kim, you would kind of see him just off to the side of scenes because he didn't really want to, you know, ruin his fantastic reputation. (laughs) (laughs) He had had other plans for that, didn't he? He had whole other plans (laughs) for that. So, um, but. There's something weird about the time in it because the Kardashians are so completely reported on. You know every little detail of their lives and they're part of entertainment news stories all the time. So you constantly see all these things. And then what you're asking fans to do is to go back and re-watch. Yeah. You know, nine months later, you're like, oh, you know, this is a... And in, you'd think that would be quite boring because they followed every cough and spit. A little bit like Formula One in Drive to Survive. You, they know. Yeah. But funnily enough, there is something about... It, the thing that it most represents to me, stay with this one, okay. by the way, Uh-oh. Is classical drama, like ancient Greek drama, when they tell you the whole story in the prologue. So you, or, or in Romeo and Juliet, you know, you already know they're going to die. Everything reminds you of classical drama. It, not everything reminds you of classical <laughs> drama. But you know what this does? Because yeah. they're in the in the prologue of one of those plays, they tell you what's going to happen. And it makes it matter more. So knowing the story, far from be, people saying, yeah, but how can we do this? It's not quite a turnaround. Everyone already knows that Kim's got divorced now. Oh, my God. Oh, no. you what? Wa- <laughs> Yeah, I know. Breaking. But you want, so you want to see it happen. So, yes, you know. Aeschylus, <laughs> Drive to Survive, <laughs> yeah. and the Kardashians. You heard this hot take first. Aeschylus in the Red Bull. Yeah. By the way, this is the reason so many people come out of reality shows or things like that and go, I'm a, I was watching it back and friends have told me I was so badly edited. I came across as so boring. Uh, I came across as slightly robotic and, <laughs> and hard to work with and not over competitive. You can think, did you, Max? That's, <laughs> so, I can't believe they edited you like that. Uh, I think sometimes when people see their real personalities on screen, they go, I cannot believe you've edited me. He should like have remained that. a Kate Moss figure, like never speaking. And the more you hear it now, and she's talking about wellness, it's like, oh, please don't. It, 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 <laughs> silence is the most intriguing statement of all in many of these shows. But anyway, now we know what he sounds like, and you're right, he is quite boring. But 
Can we talk a bit about the idea, so much of the way that people talk about modern sport now and the types of people who have become characters you know we talk now about and certainly when we're doing one of the questions um, episodes of this show uh, a few weeks ago we were talking about the manager as main character in football and there are now cameras trained on the manager the whole time because they become so much more a significant performer isn't it interesting like I mean you know honestly 20 years ago the only people who used phrases like narrative and plot line in things about about things other than books were genuinely like media studies students or like some elite level publicist yeah. who would talk about that stuff. Now everybody talks about football in terms of plot lines, narratives, the characters. And these people like Christian Horner or Toto Wolff, the Mercedes principal, become these much, much more significant figures in sport and the yeah. way we talk about sport and the way we kind of perceive it all as a story. And they become stars as well. Yeah. And they've had their whole career, if you're Toto Wolf, you're used to dealing with um, the egos of racing drivers. And suddenly you're famous yeah. and everything you're doing is being looked at. And he gets mobbed. Yeah. Toto Wolf. You know, he's really monetized it as well. A lot, and loves a, it. Like Mourinho years, used yeah. to love it. Like Josie Mourinho yeah. used to absolutely thinking, oh my God, I am the biggest star on this team. And, you know, when everyone realizes they're in a soap opera, it's like they change their behaviour. It's just this thing with Christian Horner, and who knows what will happen with the investigation, but certainly it wouldn't be as big a story if he hadn't just spent five seasons on the biggest reality show on the planet. Yeah. Fascinating to see if they that makes it into He's the He's married next to season. Jerry Halliwell, Jerry from the Spice Girls. So there's a sort of certain like need, and, and he features a lot of his, back, his home life in yeah. the season. You often see them trotting around on their horses in their big country mansion. But it's, it, the interesting thing is sport, by and large... And this is a massive generalisation, but if you want to really look at sports audience, it has always traditionally been older men. Okay, so it's skewed older and it's skewed male. It always has done. And very smart sports worked out um, not so long ago. Well, listen, if we want to expand, there are two enormous areas we can expand into, which is have more women watch our sport and have younger people watching our sport. And it's fascinating with the Super Bowl. And it's almost impossible to overestimate how huge NFL is is becoming in the states. It was already massive, and now it's you know the biggest thing in the world. But it's still skewed older, and they now essentially around the Super Bowl and and and, and other games they recruit YouTubers to come along and do you know they literally yeah. have have the run the absolute run of the place. They can do whatever they want. They can interview whoever they want, and it's really really working for them. Nickelodeon had SpongeBob commentating yeah, on on the Super Bowl, but again because it goes viral, it's interesting and again it's you know it's about personalities and it's turning sport into soap. It's turning sport into a reality show like like the Kardashians. But the beauty of having a sport reality show is if you're the Kardashians or if you're the only way is Essex, you've constantly got to manufacture drama. Yeah. You've constantly got to go, sorry, can you pretend that you were, you're annoyed that he's going out with her? And can you look at her across the bar? And, we, and that's half an episode. If you've got a documentary that's about Formula One, then every week or occasionally two weeks, you literally every single main character gets in a really fast car and races against each other for two hours. I mean, you can't get better than that. Sport, you don't know what's going to happen, and it's exciting, and it's controversial, and things can go wrong, and it's dangerous, and you didn't have to manufacture any Any of of it it at all. The stuff behind the scenes, but of course they're manufacturing bits and bobs, but you've always got that thing. If you watch any sports documentary, uh, you know, you watch any uh, Last Chance You or something on, on, on Netflix, each episode is ending with the game they've been building yeah. up to, and you know it hasn't been fixed. You know that they could lose it or they could win it, and it, it really matters what happens. One of the things I think is the sort of dark obverse to that in some ways is 
the sense that everything's a plot line and yes. that it's all just hashtag content and I was really quite surprised in in one report about this um, the Christian Horner allegations last week was they were saying and you can see all, all the Netflix cameras were there picking up some to some drive to survive gold and I thought goodness as I said he denies the allegations but if you were the person who's made those accusations yeah. then the idea that you are just becoming drive to survive gold is a little bit like we there's a point where you just have to stop seeing everything as content and it is actually the, the real lives are involved in it. And I, I there's something, and, and that's, by the way, across the board for any of this stuff. Um, it reminds me a lot of classical drama, <laughs> I would say. Um, I'll tell you what I did in, in terms of, in uh, in the interest of research, I watched, because, you know, Drive to Survive is a big show for them. They've done the same on the tennis tour, which Grand Slam, I think it's called. Yeah. They've done the same on the golf tour, um, which is full swing. Uh, and again, it's sort of fascinating, because, I mean, really, I really recognise that lots of people don't like golf. Right, but I'm watching Full Swing. It's great because you get to see their houses, you get to see their lives. It's interesting. And there's a guy called um, Joel Damon, who's he's sort of a journeyman pro, yeah. but he comes across so brilliantly. And now every single week, if ever there's golf on, I always think, oh, I wonder, what, I wonder how Joel Damon is doing. But isn't but isn't yeah. that yeah. amazing? It's given you a storyline to follow. It's given you someone to root for. And you know, I will watch any sport anywhere in the world if I want one team to win and another team. To lose, yeah. That's you know, that's that's all sport is. Do I want one team to win? And so they, you know, full swing has done well. So they had this this Netflix's first ever live sports event, which was the Netflix Cup, which was just before the Las Vegas Grand Prix, which was insanely huge, and every which star was in new, America was there. Which is a new race, and yeah. there was a lot of controversy about whether it should even happen, and it was kind of just beyond showbiz. Yeah. But and let's say it did not lose a lot of money for a lot of people. No. Yeah. <laughs> I think everyone came out uh, richer Max from that. was very sniffy about that as well. <laughs> yeah, and then suddenly he what felt a, his pockets full. What a full. purist he is. Uh, but they had four Formula 1 drivers and four golfers playing on the Steve Wynn Golf Resort just off the strip uh, in LA. Two hours live. It involved golf cart. Pro-am it involved <laughs> exactly <laughs> really cast pro-am golf cart races. They had they had like kind of speed holes. Uh, the presenting staff were not. I'm going to say not traditional golf. Presenters were they uh, traditional presenters, Richard? I would say they did not have as much live experience as sometimes I would look for. Oh, that is an absolute diss from you. If I was if I was producing a two hour live show, there is certainly I'd you know I'd, I'd be happy if I could look down and see Gabby Logan there. I would yeah. look, whatever happens, nothing's going to go very yeah, wrong. Balding's going to get us out of trouble here. Yeah. and I think there were certain presenters. I thought I'm not entirely sure if uh, you're a safe pair of hands. Um, and it was sort of a mess in a way, but it was very watchable past the time and you do you know what you're watching people do unusual things and I would have thought that if they carry on doing those things and make them better because by the way it's very hard to do a two-hour live show where it's Formula One players and golf and no one's ever done it before and everyone at Netflix wants you to hit 15 different dem demographics and everyone's mm. got an opinion so very hard to make that show look at BBC One with Gladiators it's all it's all the same stuff it's competition it's competition and it's personalities I think your daughter is a huge fan of Gladiators. My daughter is an absolutely huge fan of Gladiators who wants to be on Gladiators more than anything. She wants one of them to retire and then she'll take on the name afterwards. <laughs> I, I'm going to suggest Legend. Yeah. <laughs> We're booking um, the new series of House of Games at the moment. I made a, uh, a plea to the Gladiators. Uh, and so yeah, now we, we have to go work out which Gladiator would be best, best at House of Games. Uh, and He's not even the best at being legend, but yeah, no, I would I would love to see legend. On, legend. I would love to see legend on House. But of also, Games. and I hope that we were able to call them by their gladiator name. Oh yeah, of course. Than, do you think they will wear the leotard? Yes, please. Never break character. 
Yeah. Kind of great character. Well, they might do, right? But it's funny, every single person I know who's coming on the new series of House of Games and who knows me, I think every single one of them has sent me a message saying, um, am I going to be on with a gladiator? <laughs> <laughs> they, they're all like, can I, do a, can I do the gladiator week? I would really, really like that. Yeah, It's the future. We did a show years ago on Channel 5 called International King of Sports. And that's the one show if people say, what show would you like to bring back? I'd bring back that. And it was the idea that some people are brilliant sports people but haven't found their sport. And so we invented lots of new sports. There's like kind of running backwards, there's under hurdles, there's like hitting a ball as far as you can with a tennis racket. <laughs> there's like all these different um, things that we'd uh, uh, invented. Uphill long jump, we did. Uh, and we got properly great, really, really great sports people to do it, but who were not professional sports people because they never quite good enough. The guy who yeah. won the first series, Adam Horder, was like almost made it in rugby league but not quite Australian guy and people from different countries. That's a show I'd love to make for Netflix. Just absolutely supersize that thing and invent a load of new sports and have people who've never quite found the thing. I was so nearly good at badminton uh, but and give them something that they are amazing That is at. definitely Ted Sarandos's sports-adjacent content. Yeah, that is a, that's a come-and-get-me plea to Ted Sarandos. Yeah. I'm always making come and get me, please, Ted Sarandos. He has, he has yet to come and get we, me. Weekly. I'm, <laughs> I look, sure it's I'm moments like a, away. I'm like a kid at Christmas looking out the window. <laughs> it's, it's every Ted time a, every time a car goes fast. It's is, big that, sack of money. is that Ted Sarandos? Ingrid's like, come sit down. He'll he'll be here soon. He'll be here soon. So that's Drive to Survive, which drops on Friday on Netflix. And on that note, shall we go to a break? Hold on, gladiators and cars. <laughs> yeah, let's go to a break. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Twizzlers. Long day, late night, feeling a little bored. Twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day, no matter what kind of day you're having. The perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax. Unwind with Twizzlers. To buy now, visit Hersheyland.com slash Twizzlers. Welcome back. We are going to talk about romanticy, which is a fictional genre that I admit I was not altogether on top of until I started reading a lot of articles about it because it is monster. Is that right, Richard? It is romanticy, romance and fantasy, as you would imagine. And it's the it's it's the biggest genre in books in the world at the moment. Uh, there's two absolute giants of it, Sarah J. Maas, who writes uh, Court of Thorns and Roses, and there's Rebecca Yaros, who writes The Iron flame books and they're the sort of leading lights of this um of, of this movement and what so, is it well what it is it's sort of fantasy it's elves it's you know all of that kind of stuff you it's know a lot elves, of fairies. fantasy a lot of fairies fairies and elves and and an awful lot of sex so it is romance romance and fantasy the, the romance is, is, it could almost be called fuckstasy <laughs> rather than a romanticy because it's it's, yeah. it's it's quite pornographic yes like there's a lot going on so i think it's I think the reason it's become massive now, because it's been around a long time, the reason it's become massive now is there are a generation of girls who grew up with Hunger Games and Twilight and those things. And who, Harry Potter. And Harry Potter, yeah. Uh, and who want the same thing but want it a bit more spicy, spicy is what smart. they say. They've reclaimed spot and spice. <laughs> Can't even say it. Spice and smart. Yes. As, you know, and, and that's they've, how they kind of hashtag it on things like book talk so that people can talk yeah. about it and, yeah. They've reclaimed spice and smart, the two new gladiators, my <laughs> favourites uh, who will be on House of Games soon. Um, one of the reasons it's gone crazy is it's very well done. So Sarah J. Maas, Rebecca Yaros, they're both great writers. You know, it's not literature, but it's, you know, you turn the pages. Is it literature adjacent? I'm not quite it so sure, Richard. I, anyway, oh, oh, well, I look forward to hearing about that. But <laughs> it's like publishing has gone ins 
absolutely insane for it. Every four or five years, publishing goes completely insane, and it's just gone insane again. Because it's been around since, I, th- I think the, the term was coined in like 2008. Yeah. You know, it's been around for a long time. There's been great writers. Jen Williams is an amazing writer yes. who wrote um, uh, The Ninth Rain, but wrote it maybe sort of five or six years too early. But you hope that maybe people would go back and kind of refine that kind of stuff. But publishing now, every single big publisher has set up its own fantasy imprint because this is where all the money is. Waterstones have finally got a sci-fi fantasy book of the month. Because which, it used to be siloed. You didn't really find yeah. this stuff in bookshops and people had to sort of order, you know, there wasn't a kind of dedicated area. But it's quite interesting because it has obviously, fantasy has often, skewed, strangely in some ways, has skewed male as a genre yes. for definite. Like yeah. Lord of the Rings, what I always think of as books with a map at the front of them. Yeah. Yes. Some yeah, guy yeah. standing there thinking, so that's how you get from the minds of Astaroth to the, you know, Plains of Grizzendark. I love it. Going to be a long time to traverse those, you know. And I love a book with a map. Do you yeah, know? I love uh, a book uh, with a map. Uh, yes, I've got a certain amount of views about that. Yeah, there's it's it's a quite a male sort of skewing that particular demographic. But this is a bit like that. I'm but the quite women male are, skewing at times. Yes, I think. you can be, and I'm, and there's nothing wrong with it. But it's <laughs> yeah. interesting that this thing that you know, the Lord of the Rings, all those sort of series that have been have far outsold yeah. among in amongst male audiences than female audiences. Women are the sort of heroines of these books. Am I right in saying that? They're, yes, they are. They have agency whereas you know i yeah. often sometimes think in some of those books they and particularly some historical drama series or fake historical fantasy yeah. drama series they sort of exist to get raped and as a plot point yes or, and, or they're, they're strong women but they're wearing a bikini yeah, yeah yeah and i've i you know i i another theory i have i sometimes feel that the reason that those kind of historical drama series are so big with male audiences is because is that they just see women getting treated like shit but you know that's what it was like back then and you think what in Restaurants that was never I mean it didn't exist why don't you create a fantasy land where women don't have to get raped to move the plot along every five seconds but anyway well, that's what these writers that's what these writers have done it's exactly right so the incredibly strong heroines and female written heroines so it's not like a male idea of a strong woman it's like an actual strong woman who has vulnerabilities has a lot of sex with dragons you know so there's all that going on there's a lot of enemies to friends though isn't there that kind of slightly Stockholm syndrome like Beauty and the Beast just they start off but mind you that's that's been a romance trope forever like Mills and Boone has been like that we would uh we were talking about Hallmark Christmas movies for over Christmas and that again enemies to friends is a big thing yeah exactly but it's 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 not going anywhere it's I'll tell you a couple of interesting things about it so anytime a genre gets really really big celebrities come and try and take it over. No, they don't come try and take it over. Publishers go, can we get a ghost-written version of this? But because these books are all 600 pages long and involve incredibly complex world building, and, you know, Sarah J Maas has been writing for 12 years. She's put the work into making these worlds. That's why people love them so much. They're so rich. She started online, didn't she? She started started on, like, WordPress or something like that. Exactly exactly that. She read Lord of the Rings, loves the idea of Lord of the Rings, loves that feel, loves the kind of feel of that narrative and and sort of tried to apply it to her own life Uh, and so has come up with a very, very different version, which is, uh, you know, reaching a very different audience. She sold 37 million books. I know, right? There's something like 14 billion TikTok posts that have her hashtagged in it. That's not bad, is it? It's nothing to be sniffed at. But it means it's quite hard to, for someone to cynically just go, oh, I'm going to write one of these. One of the really lovely things about it is, is fantasy writers who've, who've, who've the, these books, you have to write a big, long book and your world building has to be incredibly good because that audience are incredibly smart. Suddenly they're all getting paid. 
and they've had like 10, 12, 15 years of not getting paid or getting paid very, very little because it's been seen as a niche. Now you've got this world where they are the most in-demand de- in writers. Now here's the, here's the interesting economic thing that Sarah J. Maas has and Rebecca Yaros has. They sell hardbacks. And nobody really sells hardbacks, right? Now, hardbacks are the holy grail for the publishing industry because the publisher, the writer, the bookshops, you make about four times as much money off a hardback than you do off a paperback. So it's all very well selling 100,000 paperbacks. But if you can sell 500,000 hardbacks, that's crazy money. And that's what fantasy fiction can do because people are fans. And if you're in a fandom, you want every new version of it. There's this whole world of things. It came from gaming originally of crates, yeah. Okay, there's a Luma crate and there's Fairy crate, which are the big ones. So once a month, they will send you out a new fantasy book. And they um, curate it. They know what their audience will like. They do beautiful editions with kind of sprayed edges, illustrated maps, uh, all sorts of things. And you, could, you can pay up to 45 quid for one of these. And if you love the world and if you love the writer, you'll do that, which means that fantasy people are making a huge amount of money, which is great. Both of those companies, by the way, Fairy Crate uh, and Illuma Crate, both set up by women of colour in their 20s, both of whom are now making... And it's a subscription service. Millions Sorry, and millions. It's, give... a, it's a subscription service. Yeah. Uh, like you, the Book of the Month Club like, of olden days. It's like but... the Book of the Month Club. <laughs> they will send you one. You can duck in and out month to month. Sometimes they go, we're releasing like a... They'll, they'll say, oh, we've got a special limited edition of this new book, just 30,000 copies, and... and it gets subscribed immediately. Yeah. And by the way, there's only about 10 books in the whole of Britain that will sell 30,000 yeah. hardbacks in a year, let, let alone in a week, which is what these um, crates can do. And so they're both set up by women of colour. The books are incredibly diverse, non-binary, inclusive, all that kind of stuff, and not, you know, the old go woke, go broke. You think, well, this is an industry that's that's just how it's always been. Mm. You know, everything is fluid. Everything is binary. People, there's elves. There's all sorts of <laughs> things going on, um, and it's the most profitable industry in the whole world of publishing at the moment. And it's an extraordinarily diverse world. The authors are extraordinarily diverse. Um, there's loads of great British writers now who are doing. Uh, Sarah Ella Reefy, who had a number one book with Feybound this year, which is yeah. about black fairies. Uh, it's 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 an extraordinary world, and it's bringing lots of people into bookshops. It's bringing a whole generation into reading. Because I think when you get to sort of twenty odd, is when you stop reading, right? But all of these Hunger Games Twilight readers are now moving on to older literature. They're reading more books, and it's a habit you never get out of. It's sort of the perfect storm. It's the right people getting paid for doing the right thing. I wonder what we'll see because I think they're starting to do the deals to adapt them for television. Yes. I really wonder what the fandom will be like when they see that, because it could be, I mean, not like the absolute kind of extreme end of the Marvel fandom, which can be, you know, just the dedicated incel demographic, that four, in, four, four quadrant incels. The DID. Uh, yeah. The, uh, um, but I, I wonder whether the fandom will, it, it almost strikes me as a bit of a poison chalice being the person who's got to adapt one of those because you feel like I'm never, never going to get it quite right. Oh and my there God. will I always mean, be, you know. You're going to get it insanely wrong, yeah. I would have thought. However you do it. Because it's, it's so much to do with people's inner life. And they're all going to be made. Because of, of course they are, and I don't really, I don't really like watching fantasy on TV. It's not my vibe at all. But yeah, there's, there's going to... I've got to say, I read some of these, and it's not. I would not want to read a book like this at all. I would have no interest in it. Oh really? No. What is it okay, about was... a dragon shooting fire when she orgasms that you're having a problem with? I don't know. I just didn't feel it was enough 
intellectually stimulating. And I'm sorry, it should have been sort of just erotically stimulating, but it wasn't that either. Uh, and so I'm, I'll, you know, I'll stick with, with my current reading. Uh, what, what's your current reading? Well, I'm currently reading a biography of Bismarck, Richard. <laughs> What's not erotic about that? What is not? What is not erotic about that? Who would famously set fire to the curtains every time he orgasmed? Every, I haven't got to that bit yet. It's very not? good. Jonathan Steinberg, it's been around a while, but it's Do you know what? I was, I was actually going to read that, but I thought I'm, I'm going to wait for the Netflix adaptation yeah, of that. Just, it's a little blow your curtains off. Yeah, wow. By the way, because we're talking about books, uh, am I allowed to, to announce my new book? Well, I've been very much hoping you will. This is a world exclusive for this podcast. It is. What Depending, if you're listening to this before this morning today, then it's a world exclusive. If you're listening <laughs> after this morning, then it's, I've, I've literally got a head there. You've eaten your own lunch. I've got a head there straight after this uh, to announce it as well. Um, yeah, so it's very exciting. It's called, so it's not a Thursday Murder Club book, because uh, I've done four of those. They're coming back next year, so I'll be, I'll be on to them again. It's called We Solve Murders. It's, uh, you can have a look at the front cover on, my, uh, on Twitter and Instagram and stuff like that. We tried to make it look a bit like an 80s kind of airporty I love that sort look. of novel. I, like, I really like the vibe yeah. of the cover design. Because so many books look like Thursday Murder Club now. Now so they all, yes. To, yeah, yeah. Everyone will now look like your, um, 80, your, your new 80s airport design. That will be the next one. Every okay, single we'll one see. Copies. But it's got a cat and a gun on the front cover. So that's, uh, yeah. that's like the inside of my brain. Uh, it's we Solve Murders. It's a, it's a, I wanted to write a book about actual detectives because with the Thursday Murder Club you've got to wait for happenstance whereas with a detective you could, someone can knock on the door and say here's your plot so it's a father-in-law who lives in a sleepy village in the New Forest and a daughter-in-law who's a close protection officer to billionaires uh, she's always going around the world big adrenaline junkie he just wants to do the pub quiz and you know hang out with his cat she comes under threat and can only call on one person who she trusts, and that's him. So he now has to sit on a private jet and miss the pub quiz. And so it's the two of them essentially solving murders with her client, who's uh, a woman called Rosie D'Antonio, who's the world's best-selling crime author. She's like Jackie Collins for crime. <laughs> and it's essentially the three of them travelling around the world trying to outrun a murderer and catch who's trying to kill them. So, you know. Oh, terrific. When yeah. is it out? It is out in September. Listen, you can pre-order now. I was if you about want to. to say you can surely pre-order. I now. know. I just they I'm always I'm duty bound to say that and it's it's always good to pre-order. But anyway, so it's nice to be able to give that oh, as an exclusive this is on terrific. this podcast. Yes, more world exclusives, please, as, as say, when they uh, drop. It unless drops. it's post eleven AM, in which case I've just told Hollywood to be. <laughs> Oh, it won't be Holly, of course, will it? It won't be. The, the, the interregnum, so, so we'll... Maybe Craig Doyle. Maybe. And I told you that. I said I would never tell Craig Doyle anything before <laughs> I tell you. The same principle applies. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, romanticy is the main is, is, is the main thing. It's extraordinary. It's sending an awful lot. And if you like it, you'll absolutely love it. And honestly, I feel like a lot of good people are making a lot of money out of it, which, which is such a nice thing. Like proper people who've written online for years and years, who've you know, struggled for years and years, who've absolutely followed their dreams, written the thing that they love. Now suddenly they're making money. I always think that's quite nice. That is a brilliant feel-good story from which we shall move on. A brilliant feel-good story about having sex with elves. About having sex with elves. We'll move on to something from which people are not making any money. <laughs> <laughs> Madam Web, which is the latest addition to the Spider-Verse. Spider-Man is a thing that is held by Sony, and so Sony have made this, even though it's kind of Marvel property. It is a movie starring Dakota Johnson mm-hmm. uh, as the uh, titular uh, Madam Web clairvoyant. Um, I think the tagline is, her web connects them all. Well, as one of the people who went to the UK cinema and helped it to its very dismal box office showing, I can tell you I have no idea how her web connects them all. It's, right. You still can get to the end of the movie. It's a genuinely bad and fascinatingly bad movie because it is first of all what happened is that 
they had a trailer to it which went viral for, for all the wrong reasons <laughs> they say in the business um, there was a line in the trailer which is he was in the Amazon with my mum when she was researching spiders right before she died and that line of kind of clunky exposition went viral and Dakota Johnson actually left her agents the sort of week after that trailer dropped which is it's a fair decision um the, the movie itself is genuinely 70% of the dialogue, I thought, was exposition. I've never seen anything like oh, it. Wow. I've also never seen, and bear in mind I've watched all the Marvel films, product placement quite like it. I now find it quite funny that Pepsi paid that much money to be associated with this movie. The entire final action sequence is essentially around a Pepsi sign. Really? So now, you know, every time I see a can of Pepsi, I will definitely think of that movie and reach for the coke instead what's been sort of quite eye-catching about it is that probably knowing that the movie was awful as as often happens dakota johnson has had to go on a on a press tour and she's a little bit of a liability on an, a press tour anyway oh, i would say in general which I we all love i love yeah. a liability we all want a liability yeah. i mean actually killian murphy who was in um oppenheimer obviously and he said, oh, this is a broken model, the press tour, because everyone is so bored. And to just talk about what a press tour yeah. is. Obviously, when you make a movie, you have to try and tell everyone all about it. So actors who are actors, really, and would love to talk about their craft or whatever, or not even do any of this promotion, all actors mm. hate doing this. You then have to promote the movie, and it takes really months and it can go on and and if you're by the way if you're up for an award you've got to do it all over again backwards and in heels and the thought of having to do it when you obviously know the movies are turkey is pretty awful and you can often see actors having to do that sometimes they spin out on press tours anyway I mean there was a famous one Tom Cruise when he was promoting War of the Worlds which was a you know Steven Spielberg movie he fired his very 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 long time publicist who was a woman called Pat Kingsley who was totally fearsome and totally feared in the, across Hollywood she was a sort of extraordinary person who managed to keep a lid on the fact that you know Tom Cruise is actually quite crazy for many <laughs> many many I mean for decades really and, and now fired, and now we've heard it and now and now and now you can tell Craig Doyle well that, that yeah na, that that <laughs> press tour he this was where the one where he jumped up on Oprah, Oprah's couch oh, yeah, yeah. then he started saying Brooke Shields was um she should never have taken antidepressants he started arguing about Scientology something he'd never been allowed to mention and interviewers were never allowed to mention hey it was extremely watchable yeah. it was and Dakota Johnson has to promote this movie that has already gone viral so someone said to her you know what a, that that quote that went viral you know and she said yeah but why did it go viral I mean it's been taken out of context and he said well maybe it was yeah it was taken out of context she said but isn't everything if it's taken out of context taken out of context and so there are these incredibly oh God, awkward point. yeah there's incredibly awkward interviews i'm gonna I, have to watch the whole thing because i feel like i don't have the full context you need what you're just, yeah, i yeah. can assure you that i it, it it's a real people are saying maybe it's collapsed the, the superhero genre no it hasn't collapsed the superhero genre which is in trouble but it hasn't collapsed it um it's it's not great for the Spider-Verse, I will yes. say. It's pretty, pretty awful. But I know, you know I worry about the Spider-Verse. We, we all worry about the Spider-Verse. <laughs> exactly. We, we, all, we have to check in every now and again. We want stars on press tours yeah. to say what they think, which they all try very hard not to do. Because really what you want they want to do is maybe talk about what, what it was like doing the acting, what, whatever. And 
what the interviewer wants to say is, I'm doing you a favour, I'm promoting your film. Your personal life's looked like a bit of a train wreck recently. Can we talk about that? Yeah. And it's this horrific transactional thing that you don't want to do. And so sometimes they come out with these prepared lines. And, you know, that every time you see a celebrity on a chat show, that anecdote has been pre-approved. That is, it's really interesting, you know, how have a long time to have this sort of easy familiarity, a quick little anecdote that you're going to tell on Kimmel or whatever it is. It's all been pre-approved. You've rehearsed it so many times. And then you go and sit on the sofa and make it just think as though this thing you've just come up with. Now, yeah. Lady- didn't so you went to Geneva recently? Yeah, you were on a train, right? Oh my God, I can't believe. How do you know uh, this? Uh, How do you know this? Well, yeah. you no, know because this is this anecdote alone has been the subject of a two-week legal negotiation with my publicist. <laughs> now, Lady Gaga, when she did the first, what was a Star Is Born? She did. Yeah. Now, that was a classic press tour because she didn't realise, like one of her first outings as a movie star, because she's obviously a singer before, and she hit her one line. A bit like Boris Johnson during the 2019 general election. And if he didn't say get Brexit done 15 times, and he'd go back to number 10 and Dominic Cummings would beat him. So he had to do it every time he went out. Now, she said about Bradley Cooper, you know, there could be 100 people in the room and 99% don't believe, 99 don't believe in you and you just need one to believe in you. And that was him. But she said it so many times that people started creating cuts of all the time she said it, right? So it was was a genuinely sort of, it's really excruciating. And I think she sort of got the joke. Now, House of Gucci had, next outing oh she got the memo okay so oh, she really? said she'd every time she went out she said something slightly more batshit I, she'd hired a psychiatric nurse to be with her at all times during the filming wow. she claimed never to have broken character for 18 months I thought you were going to say she'd never broken wind <laughs> never, I never, that would be I mean that's that, that goes viral I am actually even more impressed by that than perhaps not breaking character for 18 months but anyway she claimed she'd written a biography of the character oh no she became so unable to distinguish fact and reality that she thought the whole of Rome was a movie set even if she went out to the shops she also believed that the Gucci heiress she had the Gucci wife had, had cursed her with by, and she was followed with huge swarms of flies wherever she went so yes thank you Gaga you got the message for the next press wow. tour this is what we want we don't want to know anything about Bradley Cooper think, being the one person in the room who believed in also, you also by Nobody the way cares. if Lady Gaga is in a room with a hundred people yeah. okay more than one of them is going to believe in her. Yeah. So it's Lady Gaga. You know, almost all of them. Bradley Cooper, would like, join the yeah. queue, Bradley. Because we're all going to go, yeah, I'll do what it, whatever film you want to be in, Lady Gaga. I'm, I want to be involved. But You're do Lady the Gaga. flies come as standard? Yeah. Just <laughs> attended by a huge cloud of flies. Do they come as standard? No. Because it's going to be quite hard to take each yeah. one out in post. But it's not like Lady Gaga walks into a room and everyone's like, oh, God, Lady Gaga. Uh, no. Apart from, just there's just one guy. In the corner, going. Do you know what? I'm going to take a chance on this chick. Yeah, and that's Bradley Cooper. The I'm false gonna, modesty again. Yeah. With I'm going to take a chance on this multi-millionaire, huge, massive megastar. <laughs> you know what? That's the kind of guy I am. Yeah. Come on, guys. Now there, there was one. I come trying to think of the other good press doors. Robert Pattinson just makes things up. Oh really? Yeah. He says that you know he witnessed a terrible circus accident. He once worked as a hand <laughs> model. Um, he's never washed his hair. I mean, there's a, you know, there's a, there's there's an awful lot of Wikipedia kind of pick. And when when you do sort of remote interviews with people, all they do is look at Wikipedia. Yeah. And briefly, it said that Oprah Winfrey was my aunt, and no one there's about two people ever fell for it. And just goes, so tell us about Oprah. That's a very unusual fact. <laughs> and even like, oh, that, I think that's not. Uh, yeah, the yeah. first one I said, and the second one I went, yeah, it's yeah, it's weird, isn't it? It's just it's, on my it's on, on my dad's side. Uh, and you know, then they sort of go into Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> One interesting thing, I think, is when you watch people on um, press junkets. Some people, the Hugh Jackmans and people like that, love it because they like new people being in the room and they like, you know, 
entertaining themselves. But by and large, the more effusive they are, it means the bigger back end they have on the movie. Yeah. So if you've got points on a movie, which means if it's successful, you do well. Or if you direct it, if you're an actor who's directed a film, oh my God, they'll literally go on anything, anywhere. So they go, this is actually the real me, the yeah. director. Um, I think actually this is my real skill. Uh, but if someone doesn't, if someone's already got paid for the film, and in your contract, in your contract for pretty much anything, it'll say you have to do 12 days publicity. So that's to get your kind of $8 million or whatever it is. You have to, you know, you've got to do this, the shooting, but you owe us 8, 12, whatever days of publicity. So they have to do it. They have to do it, but they're not going to get paid any extra money. And so that's why that really hurts them. If they're getting 10% of box office receipts, oh, my God, they will literally. That's why Tom Cruise loves a press junket. And, you know, Will Smith, they love it because, you know, they always own what they're doing. It is absolutely vital that you do do it because otherwise your movie will just drop away. Yeah. You know, part of the thing, reasons we were talking about some of those films that were cancelled and moth or mothballed and will never be aired is because it is so expensive to market a film these days. Often the same cost as the film all over again, even on yeah. a very big Marvel production. And by the way, if you made a low-budget film, it could be two or three times the amount that the film cost to make just to market it. Do you remember sometimes those kind of relatively smaller-budget movies or Olivia Wilde, that one, what was it called? Don't Worry, Darling. Oh, oh my yeah. God. Now that, you see, that again is something that I was talking about earlier, that the idea of like fans studying every single tiny thing. Now, that started off as a chaotic press tour anyway, because when she was on stage at some sort of theatrical movie theatres convention, Jason Sudeikis, nice turtle lasso, served yeah. her, the divorce, had the divorce papers served to her while she was presenting about that movie live on stage. Which Good is, guy. What a what a what a nice guy! Um, one of the um, so that is that was a way to kick it off. Yeah, and it became and then she was having a relationship with Harry Styles, who was in the movie. People, there was this whole sort of thing that people thought that Florence Pugh was really angry about it. Also in the movie, I didn't even realize Chris Pine, by the way, was in this movie. By the time it finally got to the Venice Film Festival, at which point people convinced themselves that Harry Styles had spat on Chris Pine in the front row of the Venice Film Festival just after they'd sort of either joined the audience or the film had just been shown. As Again, I say people are always looking for drama in these things. But I that's, think because that's as, really great drama, though, isn't oh, it? It was sensational. Being it was sold such divorce a mess. papers, then I mean, dating Harry Styles. I've yet to see this movie, but the, the press <laughs> tour for it was just a Category 5 mess. Well, that's the thing that's really, really changed over the years, is you always have to spend an awful lot of money uh, promoting a film. But this non-paid-for publicity... That's the absolute dream because you're not having to pay a penny for Jason Sudeikis to go and, you know, performatively divorce someone on stage or to you don't have to pay anything to date Harry Styles as far as I know. No. Although he could um, imagine the money he so could make if judge. he did. Uh, the back so, end on that would be fantastic, yeah, yes. Yeah. He, do you know what? He does have a fantastic back end. Uh, but all that is free and people are sharing that and so that's your but movie. That's what, you, that's what, you know, Barbenheimer yeah. was. They couldn't have scripted it, this unbelievable yeah, yeah. sort of native movement that sprang up digitally where people thought, oh my God, these two movies, how yeah. weird, are out on the same weekend. Well, on a more prosaic level, that's how GB News publicises itself. It doesn't have to spend a penny advertising because people constantly complaining yeah. about it just keeps it in the public eye. I mean, to the money you would have to spend to have the profile yeah. that GB News has on, on social media is enormous. But they, they don't have to because people do it for them. And it's unpaid publicity is the real, the, the soft power of, yes. of marketing. And there are people who are these kind of deep social listening, social media management firms that are really now trying to get into the dark arts of trying to sort of surface that type of 
supposedly yes. authentic, non-paid for yeah. type of um, either advertising of a publicity of a specific celebrity themselves or of um, a creative endeavour they're involved in. Certainly when the Thursday Murder Club movie comes out, if I'm either if I either get divorced from Jason Sudeikis, start dating Harry Styles, or don't spit on Chris Pine, you'll know it's not real. You know that's inorganic. Some influencer agency has, uh, has done that. So we started by talking about Madam Web. So you've seen it. It's terrible. Is it the sort of film that's so terrible it's worth going to see? Well, in the sort of, yeah, I mean, I was the, there were only four people in the movie theatre that I saw it in. It was on the enormous screen. And wow. it was like, oh, my God, take this off and get the Bob Marley picture on right now. Which is done amazingly, by which the way. Which is done amazingly, which yeah. is done far, yeah, yeah. far better than expected. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it, if you want to see a movie that is genuinely, you're, you're so shocked that it can be made, that the dialogue is 70% exposition, that you honestly feel they completely dis- redecided Halfway through they were shooting it, they were going to make it a different type of movie altogether. And then they decided all over again to make it a different type of movie in the edit. As I say, I still have no idea how Madam's web, Madam Webb's web or why it connects them all. I see how it does connect them all, but I have no idea why. Maybe it's playing a longer game. They need a, yeah. <laughs> well, I can tell you, I don't think we're going to be seeing any more uh, installments of that particular franchise. Oh, do you know what I fancy? Pepsi. Yeah. We never heard back from Yorkshire Tea, did we? After <laughs> we never I, heard back. After I said how much Thanks I was enjoying Thanks for dialing them. in, guys. God. Yeah, I mean, come on, guys. <laughs> I mean, we, listen, we're cheaper than Madame Web. Um, on that note, do you have anything that you saw that was good this yes, week? Yes, I really do. I have a film, in fact, that I, I absolutely loved, which is American fiction. <gasps> it's terrific. You've seen it as well. Yes, I have. Isn't it? Isn't it great? And it's a, it's just one of those films you think, oh, why don't they make films like that anymore? And it's Jeffrey Wright, and he plays a a, a, a black writer who just who writes books, and, and in the end, the publishers won't buy them because they're not black enough. And he goes, but. I am black, this is my experience. And so he deliberately sets out to write a sort of copycat of kind of a, a, a ghetto book. And unsurprisingly, it gets bought by publishers. But they play with that uh, con- conceit very, very well. It's funny, it's charming. It's, it's first interesting time director publishing. and writer of Corey really? Jefferson. It's absolutely, but he, he did some, he's done various things. He did um, stuff on Watchmen, game, he worked on Succession for a little bit. Uh, anyway, but it's, it's, a, it's really terrific. I absolutely loved yeah. it too. It's a proper old fashioned. Oh, they've made a yeah. great movie with a great story that's brilliantly written and brilliantly acted. I saw a couple of plays. I saw The Hills of California, which is by Jez Butterworth, directed by Sam Mendes, which I absolutely loved. And I also saw uh, A Mirror, which is all about sort of art and censorship, which is a new play. It's got Johnny Lee Miller in it. And I really recommend that one as well. I really enjoyed both of those. They're so called they... A Mirror? A Mirror. A Mirror. A Mirror. And like... it's a sort of about art and censorship. What do they call it in America? <laughs> A mirror. a mirror. A mirror. Yeah, well, it hasn't transferred to Broadway yet. But, yeah, know, I'm not surprised with that course, title. In due course. On that bombshell. We've got a questions and answers uh, one on Thursday. Yes, we have. We? Do please send even more of your brilliant questions in. The uh, address is therestisentertainment at gmail.com. And they are all very, very good, the questions. Um, and we will endeavour to get round to as many as possible of them on Thursday. And wesolvemurders.com if you want to look at the, my new book oh, as yes. well. And there's all sorts of, uh, yeah, and you can download it wherever you want and look at the, look at the front cover. And we'll, uh, yeah, see you on Thursday. Thursday.